as you're sitting down, would love for you to pull out the listening guide that you received on your way in, a copy of the scripture, whether one in your hands or one electronic. If you don't have a copy of the Bible and you would like one for yourself, we have some out of the welcome table out in the lobby. We'd love for you to pick one up on the way out and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. It says in verse 7, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. The first thing that you'll see on your listening guides is a summary of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Don't be like Israel. Most of this passage is a quotation of Psalm 95, where it describes God shepherding his people from slavery in Egypt to the promised land, which was a region of land that God had set aside for his people to live in. Now, in order to understand Psalm 95 fully and our passage today fully, we need to know about tents, T-E-N-T-S, because God's people people spent a lot of time living in tents. It started in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, who lived in a permanent city, in a permanent home, and God said, I want you to leave those two things, and I want you to follow me around. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. I'm not going to tell you where we're headed. Just live in a tent and follow me. And Abraham did, and he became a sojourner. He would travel from place to place, always living in his tent with his family and always living in someone else's kingdom. At one point, God said, I want you to look to the right as far as you can see and to the left as far as you can see. Everything in front of you, your descendants are going to live in this place, but not you. You're going to live in a tent. Abraham's son, Isaac, lived in a tent along with his family. His grandson, Jacob, and his family lived in tents. They eventually took those tents down to Egypt. And then they began to multiply there. And after years and years and years, they were no longer a family. They were an entire nation of people. And the Egyptians said to themselves, you know, we don't really feel comfortable having an entire nation live among us. And so they decided to make the Israelites their slaves. For 400 years, Israel was slave to Egypt until God sent Moses, the deliverer, and God used Moses to rescue Israel out of that slavery, at which point they lived in tents again out in the wilderness. And in their tents in the wilderness, they saw God do a lot of miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He led them with a pillar of fire at night, and he led them with a cloud during the day. 
Uh, he gave them food miraculously. They would wake up in the morning and there would be this bread-like substance called manna out on the ground. In the evening, they wanted meat to eat, and so God flew in quail that would just die right in front of their tents, and that would be their evening meal. At one point, they didn't have enough water for their nation, and so God brought water out of a rock, not just for a few families, but an entire group, a nation of people. Eventually, he shepherds them to the edge of this land that he had promised Abraham. So the nation of Israel sends in 12 scouts, scope everything out. Those 12 scouts come back. 10 of them come back with facts. Fact number one, the land is just as good as God promised. It's rich. It's fertile. They describe it as flowing with milk and honey. Fact number two, there are people living in the land and they live in fortified cities and won't be easily removed. Fact number three, some of those people in those fortified cities are giants, literal Giants, And when we look at them, we feel small like insects. So the 10 scouts recommended that Israel turn around and just live in their tents. Two scouts, Caleb and Joshua, they agreed with those facts. The assessment was right. The land was rich and fertile. There are fortified cities in it. And some of those people are giants. But they brought faith alongside of their facts. All those things are true, but God has promised us. That's an important distinction for us today. Because every single one of us are going to deal with the same set of facts eventually. We're all getting older. We get married. Marriage is not always easy. We have children. There are parenting wins. There are parenting losses. We'll have money stress. We'll get sick. People that we love will get sick. And eventually we're going to die. Those are facts that all of us have to deal with. The question is, will we bring faith alongside of those facts? God, all of these things are true and very real. And yet I still believe in you. And I still believe you can do what you say you can do. The 10 scouts said, no, just facts. And the nation of Israel listened they said, we won't, don't want to go into the, to the land of promise. We'll just spend our time living in our tents. And God said, fine. And he judged his people and said, if you are an adult, then you're going to die just as you lived in your tent. And it will be your children who inherit this land. That story should sound or feel vaguely familiar because it's one that we're living right now. Turn in your scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So the New Testament tells us that what we're living in right now, this body of ours, is just a tent. It's meant to be temporary and not permanent. But God has prepared for us something permanent that awaits us in heaven, a resurrected, a glorified body that won't wear out, that won't get sick, that won't die. But right now we live in this tent. Now remember the facts that were facing these first century Christians that the book of Hebrews is written to. See, they were being persecuted. 
And the author of Hebrews is encouraging them because as they face those facts, some of them are refusing to bring faith alongside and they're saying, I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to consider myself a Jesus follower anymore. I'm going to reject the faith. And the message of Hebrews is Jesus is great. Don't quit. Don't quit. Stay in the race. Keep fighting the fight. Keep enduring. Keep believing. And he says in Hebrews chapter 3, because God's rest awaits us. Heaven awaits us. The kingdom of Jesus awaits us. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Because it doesn't matter if you are an ancient Israelite, a first century Christian, or all of us today. We all have to answer the same question. Can I trust God that where I am going is better than where I am? You see it in your listening, God. Can I trust God that where I am going is better than where I am? The Israelites said, no, I can't trust God. I can't trust God that the promised land is going to be worth what I'll have to endure to push out these people in these fortified cities. So we'll live in our tents. Uh, For us, we might say, I have a hazy idea about what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like, and I have a hard time picturing myself enjoying it. I know that I should want to go there, but it's not something I actively look forward to because when I think about the kingdom of heaven, I see myself there without any personality. It's not really me. It's like a holier version of me that I don't even like want to hang out with. There won't be any adventure there. There won't be anything to look forward to. So we're going to end up there anyway. But I have a hazy idea about it. And so what that means is I'm just going to invest in the now. I'm going to invest in making my tent as permanent as possible. I'm going to make this life as promised landy as I possibly can. I'm going to have all the bells and whistles here. I'm going to get mine while I can get it. So if we adopt that attitude... What meaningful role can faith actually play? So if faith becomes hard, it's easy to see why people would quit. It's easy to see why people would fade away. Just like we all know somebody who used to be with us, literally and metaphorically, they used to be in the faith, but for whatever reason, they don't consider themselves Christians now. Can I trust God that where I am going is better than where I am? I think most of us want to trust God, but how? Thankfully, Hebrews chapter 3 helps us with that. In your listening guide, first thing I want you to write down, I need to keep my heart open. It says in verse 7, that is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Says it again in verse 15. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. We need to keep our hearts open. We need to keep our hearts soft. We need to make sure that they don't harden up. How do I know if I have a hardened heart? Well, we see the signs right here in verse 7, 8, and 9. First, a hardened heart rebels. It says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. God tells us what to do. We politely pass. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to hope it all works out. We also know that we have a hardened heart when we test God. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There was a criminal that died 
next to Jesus, both crucified. And in Luke chapter 23, you remember what that criminal said. If you're the Messiah, prove it. Save yourself and save us too. God, if you really are great, then I need you to fill in the blank. Before I perform God and do the things you're asking me to do, you do the things that I'm asking you to do. And if you do those, then I'll consider doing the things that you want. We make God prove his faithfulness before we consider being faithful. That's a sign of a hardened heart. Another sign of a hardened heart is we ignore God's miracles. It says, There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. See, the Israelites were disappointed when they got to the promised land. They thought it was going to be easy, as most of us do. If God is really great, and I'm giving my life to him, then things should be easier for me. So they were disappointed when they got there and saw that there were people living in fortified cities, and even some of those people were giants. See, at the heart of a hardened heart is disappointment with God. Every person that you know who has a cold heart towards God, they feel like God has let them down. Even many of us in the room, all of us take a turn at being disappointed with God. And that's okay. It's okay to feel like God didn't come through and not understand why he said yes to something that you were hoping he would say no to something or the reverse. But we can be disappointed with God and not understand and yet not have a hardened heart. Because to have a hardened heart, we have to only focus on the disappointment and ignore everything else. The Israelites had 40 years worth of miracles. But to harden their heart, they had to ignore those miracles and only look at what they were disappointed with in the moment. It may be true that God didn't answer your prayer. But that doesn't mean that God has not been good to you over and over and over again. It's disingenuous of us to point out God's reason for disappointing us and yet ignore all of the ways that he has provided for us, helped us, given grace to us. We have to keep our heart open. My favorite show on TV right now is called Forged in Fire. It's on the History Channel. They're making blacksmithing cool again. So if you're interested in building a sword or a knife, I can tell you how to do it in under an hour. I mean, I can't do it myself, but I could tell you how to do it. And so they have four contestants, and they're all vying for a prize, just depending on who builds a sword or a knife correctly, which just goes to show that uh, men never grow up. We wanted swords when we were seven. We want swords when we're 57. So in the show, the contest, you are given a piece of metal and you have to turn it into some kind of knife or sword and they heat it up and then they make that metal into the shape that they want it. And then they say the most important part of the process is the quench. And they talk about the quench all the time. The quench is when they need to make the metal hardened so that it could actually do some kind of damage to whatever it is they're going to do with that sword or knife. And so they heat it up really, 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 really hot. And then they dip it into this mixture of oil and water. Then they hand it to the judge. 
And the way the judge tests to see if their metal has hardened is he takes a file and he scrapes it down the edge of their blade. And if it gets stuck as he moves the file, it means that their steel has not been hardened and they are guaranteed to be the first contestant sit home. But if the metal has hardened and the edge is the way it's supposed to be, the file just slides right off. Uh, Same test is for us. When God speaks to us, does it just slide right off? Does it just skate down easily in one ear and out the other? I agree that that probably should be something that I do with my life, but if I get around to it, it just slides right off. It means our heart has been hardened. But if we want to continue to trust God, even when the facts are against us, we need to keep our heart open. Next, we need to be careful. It says in verse 12, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Be careful that our hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Verse 14 tells us the condition of our believing heart. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. That's the goal. To have as much faith today as the day that we committed our lives to Jesus, to become his followers. We need to be careful that our hearts are not evil. Now that raises the stakes for us because I'm guessing none of us are considering ourselves evil today. In fact, if we were honest and we were comparing ourselves to other people, which I know that we shouldn't do, but hypothetically, if we did, we would think, well, I'm pretty great. I mean, comparatively, compared to the people that I live around, work around, even some of my family, if I don't mind saying so myself, we are more. We are more kind, more generous, more serving, more faithful, more loving, more forgiving, We're pretty good people, comparatively. Now, we would throw in there, we're not perfect, we get it wrong, so I'm not claiming to be perfect, but we're pretty good people. But here the scripture is saying, be careful that we don't have evil hearts. We're like, check, done with that. I'm not murdering anybody. I mean, I wanted to murder my husband all the time, but I haven't. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. (laughs) The fact that this husband of mine is still living and breathing shows just how much I love Jesus. We're not murderers. But in Hebrews chapter 3, having an evil heart isn't about murder. It's about disobeying God. Galatians chapter 5 tells us to put away, among other things, outbursts of anger. Earlier this week, I was sitting on the couch couch, uh, watching, surprise, Forged in Fire, Because they show seven different episodes a day. I record them while I'm at work and I enjoy them when I get home from work. I'm really into metal right now. Um, And you know, there's that magical window after work, but before that thing that you have to do tonight. You know what I'm talking about? It's like from five to six and, and you sit on the couch and you watch your favorite TV show. And if just the stars are aligning and God's favor is on you, you can doze off for like 20 minutes. Now, I mean, I'm not talking about going to get your pajamas on. 
just, just so you can fall asleep. And, and I love to do that. I love to work hard during the day, take a little nap on the couch, and then whatever we have to do that night. So this week, everything was lining up perfect for me. I was on my fourth episode of Forged in Fire. I had already seen this episode, so I was starting to doze off. And right as I fell asleep, my eight-year-old, Annabeth, plopped down as hard as she possibly could right next to me and started talking to me and woke me up. And I turned my neck to her and gave her a look that must have been the most parenting look that anybody had ever given their child because her face instantly changed. And I didn't say anything, but she knew that I was mad and I felt awful. And then I started to talk myself out of it because, you know, like she should have known that I was asleep (laughs) and I didn't yell at her. I didn't even say anything at all. So that was a win. And she should have known. It's my job as a parent to like prepare her, be more aware of her surroundings. She should have been thinking about, how can I serve my father today? That's what <laughs> I want to do. It's like my job to get her ready for those things. And, and, and you, you can see how I just talked myself down into, that should be something that I work on. There's some room for improvement in my parenting, and I'll get around to that instead of what Hebrews chapter 3 says that it is, which is evil. Because I disobeyed God. He said, don't have any outbursts of anger, and I did. I have to be careful. Some of us need to start being less carefree about our faith, and more careful. And finally, if we want to keep trusting God, we need to warn one another. Verse 13. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now, if... You and I are casual about our Christian faith. Warning one another makes zero sense. If being a Christian is just another description in a long line of your descriptions, warning each other does not sound appealing or even necessary. I'm 36 years old. I live in Cypress, Texas. This is what I do for a living. Here's how long I've worked for that company. I have three kids Here are all the things that my kids are involved in. I enjoy sports. I enjoy hunting. I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy tinkering around in my garage. This is my wife. This is how long we have been married. Here are the things that we like to do and the places that we like to go. And I follow Jesus and I try to go to church as much as possible. If being a Christian is just another one of those things, warning each other doesn't make any sense. I do love sports and I enjoy watching the Rockets play. Uh, basketball. It's, that's especially my favorite. And, uh, uh, you know, if halfway through the season you asked me to coffee and sat down and you had a real serious look on your face and said, hey, I, I just want to talk to you about something. I feel, like you're, I feel like you're not supporting the Rockets as strong as you once did. You used to wear a t-shirt at least once a week and now, like it's every month and you used to 
update scores and on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram a lot and talk about the Rockets a lot. And I'm not seeing anything on your social media feed about James Harden or Chris Paul or any of those things. You haven't made a comment about the local injury and or any of that. And I just am really worried about you. I would say, are you the craziest person that's ever been crazy? Why would you take me out to confront me about being a Rockets fan? That's insane because it's just something that I do. And if being a Christian is just another thing that you and I do, it doesn't make any sense to warn one another. But we know from Jesus' own words that this thing that we're doing this morning is not just another thing that we do. It is the thing that we do. It's the highest thing. And it's the only thing that should have a priority in our lives. Even above that precious family that we have, because you remember what Jesus said, if you don't, in comparison to how much you love me, hate your mom and your dad and your sister and your brother, and he says even your kids. To us, 2017, Cypress, Texas, where our kids are the center of everything. Jesus said, if your loyalty goes to them, don't even bother. Don't even bother being a Christian because this is not just another thing that we are doing this is the thing that we are doing with our lives according to Jesus and if it's the thing if my goal in my life is to have him squeeze out every ounce of usefulness out of me so that when I get into the kingdom of heaven I can say I gave it everything that I have there was nothing less I gave every drop everything you want my money you want my home you want my time you want my energy you want my very life you have it if that is the goal and I'm fading out I need you to warn me if this is the only thing that matters Please, I'm begging you, don't let me fade away. Don't let me go a week without opening this word and reading it and loving it. Don't let me skip church because I want to go to Austin again because I need God's people around me. Because this isn't just another thing that I'm doing. This has to be the thing. And the great news for your kids, precious kids in Cypress, Texas, is the more you give yourself to the thing, there is not a dad who can compete with you in this suburb. I don't care what that dad has. I don't care what that dad drives. I don't care what job that dad has. Your kids are better off because you figured out the thing. So we have to warn one another, but I'm not super into that. So how do we do it? We warn each other with our perspective and we warn each other with our testimonies. See, we all have patterns. Some of those patterns are good and some of those patterns are bad and we can't see all of our patterns. That's why we need one another to help us see the things that we can't see. And what keeps us humble is our testimony because all of us have gone down some roads that we shouldn't have gone down. And by God's grace, he's turned us around and brought us back so we can go to that potential prodigal and we can say, don't do it. Don't do it. Just stay at home because I've been to the faraway country and I spent everything that I had. And when I was done spending on me and serving myself, all that was left to serve 
was the pigs. So just stay with the Father. Don't go down that road. Take it from me. Take it from my experience and my perspective. We gotta help one another so that we can continue to trust God. And what happens if we trust him that where he's taking us is better than where we are? It says in verse 14, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, here it is, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. We will share in all that belongs to Christ, which takes us back to our tents. The ancient Israelites living out in the wilderness in their tents, and God exhibits the most miraculous grace ever given to human beings up to that point. He says, I'm going to live in a tent too. And he has them build for him a tabernacle, a tent where he placed his presence. And they could look outside of their tents and they could see the glory of God, sometimes in fire, sometimes in a cloud, as he lived in a tent right in the middle of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says that you and I, we're in tents right now in these earthly bodies. And guess what? Jesus said, I'm going to come and live in a tent too. And he took on flesh and blood, our flesh and blood. And then he sacrificed that flesh and blood on the cross, was resurrected three days later. Why? So he could throw open the doors to the kingdom of heaven so that he could prepare for us something permanent, not a temporary tent anymore. And when he opened those doors, he didn't open them up to us as a guest, but as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters to Jesus. Why? Because if we're faithful and we don't quit, we will share in all that's Christ's. Can I trust God that where I'm going better than where I am. I think we can. Let's pray. Why don't you take a second and just ask God directly, God, what are you saying me to me today? And as you say it, I don't want to harden my heart. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we close our services today.